Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of the Reconomy podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American, and welcome back, Xander Snyder, Senior Commercial Economist at First American. Now, today we're going to chat about something that's front of mind for a lot of people right now, apartment rents, how they're changing, why they're changing, and where they might decline. Hey, Odetta. Hi, Xander. Welcome back. And if Xander's here, that means we must be delving into the land of commercial real estate. That's right. It's right. Certainly, we're certainly past the headiest days of the pandemic era when we saw double-digit apartment rent growth. Now that rent growth is slowing and in many parts of the country declining outright. That, of course, raises the question, why is rent growth still positive in some places but declining in others? We always like to understand why. Xander, surprise, surprise, you've done some research on this recently. Is there a common trend? Yeah, just coincidentally, I've done this research. Uh, <laughs> well, typically, cities that have had substantially more apartment deliveries than there is demand for apartments have seen rent fall. And this makes some intuitive sense. If there are more apartments than there are households that want them, then households have more choices. And landlords have to compete for, uh, compete for those households with lower prices, or in this case, lower rents. Ah, see, it always comes back to supply and demand. In this case, more supply relative to demand and, quote, prices for apartments, aka rents, fall. It's the law of supply and demand, air quoting here, because do we really have laws like physics in economics? We're a social science after all. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it sure does seem like the quantity of new apartment supply is going to play an important role in the multifamily story of 2024. After all, there is a near record number of apartments under construction nationwide, and a lot of those are scheduled to be delivered this year. Right. And the thing is, this new supply is more concentrated in some markets than others. All else equal, the larger the quantity of new supply in a city, relative to the existing stock of, of, of apartments, the more that that new supply will impact rents. So cities with a large number of units under construction as a percent of inventory are likely to see rents fall further than those with limited supply, with limited new supply. As the year goes on, there'll be this dance between supply and demand in different apartment markets, depending on where more of these new deliveries are completed. Uh, listeners, the video on that moment was perfect. He did the shoulder wiggle for the dance. <laughs> it, it's, it's Xander's dance between supply and demand. I don't think they taught that one at cotillion class. And I, I have to wonder because I like the 80s. What 80s dance are we channeling right now? Gotta but give that Xander, thought. exactly. Isn't it the case that new supply only puts downward pressure on rents? I mean, you're adding more to the stock. If the demand isn't there to lease those new units, for example, there could be a 2,000 new unit delivery to a market, but only 1,000 households looking to rent. That would be excess supply relative to demands, and rent would decrease. In other words, deliveries is a measure of new or additional supply, right? Right. It's just a measure of new supply. Apartment deliveries is a measure of new supply. So if we want to account for the difference in demand for apartments across different cities, then we also need a measure of demand. And one way to do that is just count up all the units that were leased in a given period and then subtract that by all the units that were vacated. This gives you the change in apartment demand, which is typically referred to as net absorption. 
So as an example, when we say that net absorption in a city was 2,000 units, that means 2,000 more units were leased than were vacated. This indicates strong demand. Conversely, if 2,000 more units were vacated than were leased, that would indicate weak demand. Great. It's kind of like the commercial equivalence of month supply on the resi side, right? Yeah, yeah. it does seem that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now we have a metric for both supply and demand combined. New deliveries measures new supply and net absorption measures the demand. How do we combine these two into that single magical measure? And what does it tell us? Well, to get a sense of the relative imbalance between supply and demand in some city, we can simply subtract one from the other. So if you take new deliveries, so new supply, and subtract net absorption demand, you get a measure of the leftover stock of new apartments, the new apartments that haven't been leased. When that new excess stock is positive, then supply is outpacing demand. When that new excess stock is negative, demand is outpacing supply. So by combining the supply and demand measures, we get this single measure of the market level imbalance and whether that imbalance is a shortage or an excess. And of course, since cities vary in size, it's best to interpret this number relative to the size of the existing stock of apartments in that city. So as an example, if new excess stock in some city is 2%, that means that the stock of apartment supply in that metro grew by 2% after all new deliveries were made and the leasings were completed. Exactly. Now, what we can't show you on the podcast is a very neat chart that Xander put together that shows the relationship between new excess stock, which is this combined measure of the imbalance in supply and demand in a market, and rent growth across major cities. But there's also an interactive version of the chart so you can find your city to see where it falls on the rent growth spectrum compared to average. We'll have a link to that in the show notes to this podcast. Everyone likes a scatter plot, right? Yeah, especially when they're super colorful. You know, if Ben Stein had more colorful charts in his econ classes, Ferris Bueller wouldn't have ditched as often. Anyone? 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 Bueller? <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> we digress. Back to the chart. You'll definitely want to play around with this one. What the chart shows is clear negative relationship between new excess stock and annual rent growth. In other words, as new supply outpaces demand, rents tend to decline and vice versa. I've actually got the interactive version of the chart open right now because I am curious about some markets, specifically my hometown of Rochester, New York, which seems to be in the upper left quadrant of the chart, which indicates higher than average rent growth and not a lot of excess stock entering the market. Lucky, lucky Rochester. I too have the interactive chart open to see how my own hometown of Philadelphia is comparing. Unfortunately, unlike Rochester, it's in the upper right quadrant of the chart, indicating higher than average rent growth as well as new excess stock. That said, Philadelphia doesn't seem to fall as far from the trend line as Rochester. That's true. It looks like Rochester rent growth was much higher than other cities with similar levels of new excess stock. Elsewhere, rents fell the furthest in cities in the Sun Belt, Southeast and Southwest. So cities like Phoenix, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Orlando had a large amount of new supply come to market without sufficient demand to absorb it all. As a result, rents have fallen in these regions over the last year. In a way, a lot of these cities with large supply pipelines are actually victims of their own success. Sunbelt, southeastern, and southwestern cities attracted a lot of in-migration during the pandemic as people sought out warmer locales and more space, and actually that trend was even there before the pandemic. 
And mm -hmm. as a result, rents increased, higher rents incentivized new construction. And in some cities, that new supply now outweighs existing demand. The virtuous cycle has turned vicious. Hmm. Well, what about on the, I like that alliteration there. Uh, what about on the other end of the spectrum, cities that don't have a lot of new excess stock come to market over the last year? Are there any regional patterns on the supply scarcity side? Yes, typically cities in the Midwest and the Northeast added substantially less new supply than those in the Sun Belt and the Southeast. So these are cities like Chicago, Boston, and Washington, D.C., which had positive annual rent growth in the low single digits. Now, while Low single digits is not the breakneck speeds of two years ago, where we saw you know rent growth grow at double-digit rates. Uh, low single-digit rent growth is certainly enough for some conservative deal budgets to still pencil out. It also seems to me that there's a pattern in terms of how easy it is to build in certain markets versus others, making an important distinction there that we see in the pattern geographically. Are there any cities or regions that don't fit this general trend? Sometimes outliers can be as interesting as the trend itself. Yeah, well, typically cities in the West, so in this case, like Los Angeles, San Francisco and East Bay and Sacramento, had low rent growth, despite also having added little new stock, little new excess stock. And one possible explanation is that Western cities are often costlier with higher rent to income ratios, which just means that people use more of their income on rent. So it may be that it was just harder to achieve those rent hikes because people couldn't afford to pay much more in some of these Western cities. Now, that said, New York is also notably an expensive city, and it had positive rent growth in 2023 at, at similar levels of new excess stock as some of these Western cities. So the West's off-trend outlier performance probably can't all be attributed to affordability issues. So excess supply is associated with lower rent growth, and we have a lot of new apartments coming to market this year. That would imply that cities with a lot of new excess stock due to a lot of construction that began when rent growth was much higher will be facing the largest rent slowdowns or declines. That's how I interpret it. And it's worth keeping in mind how excess supply will interact with the broader context of multifamily distress this year as well. And while multifamily distress is currently quite low, there have been meaningful increases in insurance premiums and other multifamily operating expenses like repairs and maintenance, and we've covered this in other episodes as well. But these have, for some, already put downward pressure on net operating income or profits. So you add slower rent growth on top of that, and that could push some struggling buildings into a situation where maybe they're no longer able to service their debt. Okay, okay, one more alliteration. One bank's pain might be some renter's gain. Well, Mark always coming in with the uh, positive perspective here, right? Because, I mean, it, it's true. More supply and lower rent growth may pressure profit margins for owners, but it would also mean more choices for renters and possibly the option to spend a little less on rent as well. Another bright spot that I'll point out is that not all cities fall into this category. Several have supply and demand more in balance and healthy moderate rent growth to go along with it. Always good to end on a high note, and it's always Mark bringing in the positive. So we'll, we'll Glass take is it. Half full. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, Sander, for joining us to chat about this interesting relationship between supply and rent. My pleasure. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. And as always, if you can't wait for the next episode, you can follow us on X. It's at Odetokushi for me, at M Fleming Econ for Mark, and at Xander Snyder X for Xander. Until next time.
Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy Podcast from First American. We're pleased to offer you even more economic content at firstam.com forward slash economics. This episode is copyright 2024 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved.